I am Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. Welcome to the 11 Dubcast presented by Safe Flight Autoglass. Keep the drive going with Safe Flight. This was the game. This was Oklahoma. This was the measuring stick a year ago coming out of this game. You're walking on clouds mm-hmm. and you feel like you're headed for a national championship game or at least a playoff appearance. And that's exactly what happened a year later. Something else entirely as a, a blowout loss. And it was 31 to 16, but it, it was far worse than that. If you watch the game at all, you know that it wasn't that close. Um, culminates with Baker Mayfield planting a flag and 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 you you sit and you watched in wonderment and you wondered what has happened with the Ohio State offense. And in, in watching the game, I had an initial uh, reaction of what is what is wrong with with JT? And I know it's not him and it's quick to go to the quarterback. And that's and that's where you go emotionally when you right. have the response that you that happened on a Saturday as you go to there. OK, but but since then, Johnny, I have I have talked to three people who I really trust when it comes to breaking down film and what they saw. And and I've watched the game again and reconsidered what I saw. And my my biggest takeaway from this is that it is a shame that the vast majority of fans are restricted to watching games only on the television broadcast because you do not get an accurate feeling or an accurate portrayal of what the quarterback sees or what it is actually going on with the passing game. And in talking to the people I talked to, JT Barrett is going to have some blame and we'll get to that, but he is not the primary problem. For the Ohio State no. passing game, not by a damn stretch, as it turns no, and out. I, and I um, think you're... it's the it, if you're gonna if you're gonna get to where he is on the pecking order. In fact, he might be three behind the coaches, the, this receiving core, and then him. Despite him getting the brunt, the brunt of the backlash from the fan base. Yeah, by far. And you know, it's easy to say that. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when you're watching the game and the way it's presented, like the action is on the quarterback. You're gonna see, you're gonna follow the ball. That's where the camera goes. But that also means you don't get to see the play develop um nearly the way that the quarterback does. And the glimpses that you could see of the wide receivers who are really not open at any point in time. Um, you know, that they really need to be. And one of the things that uh, Kyle Jones mentioned. We were kind of talking about during the game, you know, those wide receivers need to be able to break open when he gets to the end of his drop and they're not Mm -hmm. even close to that. Like he, (laughs) he's lucky enough that on a lot of plays, he's able to scan the field and kind of look around, you know, after he's gotten to that point and then eventually they can kind of work themselves open a little bit, but there's some really clear problems with like route running and just getting open in general that, really is not on him I you know we we can talk about JT Barrett and obviously we'll get to that to me the bigger issue and this is something that's kind of been in the back of my head for a little bit is maybe Urban Meyer has just been kind of found out a little bit I mean maybe people have adjusted to his style to that kind of offense and it's not as threatening as it was you know three or four years ago um well let's I, I think let's, people... let's go there because because yeah, I, I think three... That's really There's where I want to start because I think that's the important, yeah. you know, point here. Yeah, if you're going to if we're going to start passing out blame and 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 start to say okay, what's wrong? How do you fix it? It's it's three issues. Yeah. Um we had Zach Bourne on the television show today and he said number 1 was coaching. So let's start there and when when you talk about coaching for Ohio State, it is Urban Meyer at start, especially offensively and especially receivers. Uh this is something that he prides himself on. It right. it's Urban, receivers, quarterbacks, all that. That's his deal, right? So it starts with him. They have had now three offensive coordinators in the last three years, four years. 
three years. I mean, for in, in all, years. I mean, <laughs> three for three all intents and purposes, three years. years. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so essentially three years, four seasons. This is their third offensive coordinator, their third coach, uh, quarterback coach. So so all of that's part of it. Yeah. Pete Thamel wrote a great piece in Yahoo today about this, and he talked to coaches around the around the country, rival coaches about Urban, and obviously they have their own agendas too in terms of making Urban seem like he's not competent offensively, and they're still really good offensively. But this is the lead to his column today on Yahoo Sports, and, and Pete knows Urban better than anybody in the media. I'm quoting here. In the regulation periods of Ohio State's past three games against marquee opponents, Michigan, Clemson, and Oklahoma, the Buckeyes have what can be considered 34 full offensive possessions. Over that time, Ohio State can claim just one sustained touchdown drive, a seven-play, 44-yard drive against Oklahoma on Saturday. That wasn't even a full drive. It's 44 yards. Great. The Buckeye, that's me, not him. The Buckeyes <laughs> have punted 17 times, committed eight turnovers, and kicked eight field goals. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is a trend now, okay? This isn't, this isn't an anomaly. This is a trend. This is three games against equal competition the three most recent, this offense has not found its way. And this, rest assured, as you continue to read his story, and I recommend that you do, this is Urban's offense that Kevin Wilson is running. It is not Kevin Wilson's Indiana offense. It is Urban's offense that Kevin Wilson is running. So if you want to do this and you want to say, all right, who's really to blame? Are you ready to blame the man who's won three national championships and who's won 90% of his game since he's been in Columbus. Cause that's at the start of this thing. If we want to go down this road. Yeah. I mean, I am <laughs> I mean, you know, like a lot of people. No, but seriously, I mean, it, it does start from the top and look, you can talk about talent and all this other stuff, but the truth of the matter is, is that teams are just defending this so much more easily than they used to. And, and when you don't respect the deep passing game, I mean, you know, part of that is on JT. If you're inaccurate past 20 yards, the way he is, then, you know, unfortunately you're not going to be able to run the ball very well. But the fact that it feels like the offense as a whole has just been completely offbeat for what feels like almost two seasons now, uh, that's got to be on coaching. And, you know, I, Think Urban Meyer is obviously an incredible coach, and I give him all the respect in the world. But if there's a problem, there's a problem. And it looks right now like the offense is a problem. They don't have that identity. I mean, I, I harp on this all the time. Like, if you want to be good on offense, you have to have an identity. You have to make sense. And the things that were working, you know, they got away from. <laughs> you know, the, the fact that it looked like they could have some semblance of a running game, they didn't even try, really, to, to try to replicate that. Uh, you know, in the second half and some of the things that have worked for them in the past, they wanted to keep forcing the issue with the passing game that clearly was not going to work. Uh, just a lot of dumb decisions and a lot of inconsistency just in terms of, you know, what they were trying to accomplish. And you're not going to win football games that way. I don't care who you are. What um, their identity is, whether Urban Meyer will accept it or not, and this is stupid for me to even say he needs to accept it, but I, it right. seems painfully obvious to me is that what his football team is at its best, and this goes back to, from Jump Street in Columbus, is a tempo, power, run team. Yeah. That's what they are. Play fast and run it. He has had, from the time he's been, the best he had, really, at this was Braxton and Carlos Hyde because he had Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. I mean, that mm -hmm. was the most lethal they were offensively. 2014, they were a great offensive team that just was dripping with NFL talent, but in terms of, personnel that fit his system perfectly it was Hyde and it was Miller because of Miller's absurd ability to run the football better than any human that we've ever seen with the ball and be as dangerous as he was 
they did this for the one drive that Thamel quotes, the 44-yard drive. They went fast, and they went with Dobbins on the ground running it, and then it just disappeared. And I don't know how that happens or why it happens, but it's happened even in the Michigan game when they had success. That's how they had it. They got away from tempo. They go away from the run. These are issues that are coaching issues. I don't know why they go away from it, but they do. And it does need to be called out because this is a product of expectation, right? The expectation is to play in the playoff. The expectation is to win the championship. Urban set those expectations, not anybody else. That's what he sets them at. And that's the expectation. One other thing I'm coaching before we move on to receivers. Mm -hmm. The three games that we're mentioning, or the the last two games we mentioned, Clemson Clemson 31-0, Oklahoma by 15. When when we talk about the the difference between, or how close Urban is to Saban. Nick Saban, this this blew my mind. Nick Saban, the three worst losses that he's had at Alabama, the highest point, point total he's lost at is 14. He's lost <laughs> by 14 in nine years, three times. That's Everything nuts. else is under 14, and the majority of his losses are seven or less by a wide margin. He's lost three times by 14. That's it. That's the list in nine years. So as great as Urban is, there is a difference between him and Saban, and it, it does need to be acknowledged because he is there, these last few games, and it's weird because, you, look, you love Urban. I don't think this is the golden era of Buckeye football. It's never been better than this, than the way that he has it now, where you're competing for a national championship every single year. But the, he gets paid a lot of money, and he's set the standard, and now it's up to him to live in, up to it. No one's going to fire him, nothing like that. But he does need to adapt, and I think that's the big takeaway here is he needs to adapt. Let's talk about receivers. This is also a coaching issue in my view. And this is going to be tricky. <laughs> Very tricky. The wide receivers at Ohio State are coached by Zach Smith. Zach Smith's grandfather is Earl Bruce. Earl Bruce is like a second father to Urban Meyer. Can Zach Smith really be held accountable for the lack of production offensively at his position the last three years since the NFL talent has disappeared? That's the question. And he should be. Obviously, he should be. Anybody else would be. Ed Werner was run for less right? Oh yeah. He was one of the best offensive (laughs) line coaches in the history of the program. And he was said, go, go find a job at Minnesota. I'm done with you. Right. So, so if this is about competition, 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 the wide receiver position at Ohio state is inadequate. It's inadequate. Everybody that I talk to who I trust, and I'm sure Kyle mentioned this as well as he does his film study, but everybody I talk to who's either watched film or had press box view for this game says that people are not open. They are not running the right route. And fundamentally, they are lacking in terms of receivers. They're not coming back to the ball. They're not breaking to the ball. They're not, they're not high-pointing the ball. They are not, to your point earlier, they are not where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. And that is a problem, and it starts with the guy who coaches the position. Yeah, and well, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, I don't know what kind of changes are really going to be made with regard to that. I mean, you would expect None. that if you see this kind of you know, inconsistency and, and poor play over the you know course of several years, and that guy would be on the hot seat. I don't know. That's not really going to happen. Um, but you know what? The thing is, I think anybody can really see the issues with the wide receivers. And, and I, I think a lot of it, you know, when it goes back to JT, when people say that, you know, he, he needs to be benched and they need to replace him, put somebody else out there. I think a lot of people are projecting their desire for a different type of quarterback onto the situation I I think anybody anybody objective can look at how the wide receivers are playing and go clearly this is not 
what should be happening. I mean, there's another drop touchdown that you have. I mean, there's another, you know, series of, you know, plays where going back to the ball, getting their heads around could completely change the tenor of the game at certain points. Um, It's not even that you expect to have a Calvin Johnson back there or even Devin Smith or any of these other guys. You just would expect competence, like just basic run of the mill competence and you're not even getting your route on a regular basis yeah where you're supposed to be right when Chase needs to get rid of the football and it's not happening and that's incredibly frustrating I was hoping you know my hope at the beginning of the year was that Kevin Wilson who you know when he would run an offense at Indiana would really take advantage of the strengths of the players that he had and so if you've got guys who aren't going to go deep and maybe aren't that great maybe you can build an offense around the idea that you're going to have a bunch of short throws and you're just going to dink and dunk your way down the field and you'll do you know some air raid stuff and just freak the crap out of people by putting five wide all the time but he didn't do that either so you're you're replicating the same mistakes that you had last year with personnel that probably isn't quite as good and that's really not a good sign for the future of the offense and they've got to find some kind of identity and i agree with you i think it has to be the running game because i don't know that the wide receivers are really going to improve that significantly uh in the next few weeks they'll have opportunities um i mean they're not playing you know murderer's row but um they've got to they've got to figure out some kind of path forward for the passing game to be effective at least in some way they don't have to do everything but they've got to do at least one thing well and until they, they can made, do that, they're they're a liability. They made Terry McLaurin and uh, Paris Campbell a captain. Yeah, <laughs> they made them captains. I mean, right. they they entitled those guys who on the field have not done anything that is deserving of being a captain. That's not personal. That's just facts, right? right. They made them captains. Um, it. I think there are talented guys like Austin Mack needs needs to play more, and Trayvon Grimes needs to play more uh, because these kids. Simply the, the the play to KJ Hill on the pick. Michael Thomas had a similar play on Monday night and Monday night football where Drew, Drew Brees threw a ball. Michael Thomas came back and attacked the football. Yeah. KJ Hill just stood there. Right. It's, it happens all the time. They, they, they are not, they do not have, uh, and, and this, this now we'll, we'll get into the last part, which is JT. And, and I, he does have some, some for him as well. Um, in in that I've said before, he's a guy on a tee box who who just waggles it for thirty seconds instead of just just swinging the club. So why does that guy on the tee box do that? Why does he waggle it? Why does he step off the ball? Why does he do all those things before just gripping it and ripping it? It's because he has no confidence where it's going, and he's thinking about one hundred and ten million things. And that's JT Barrett. JT Barrett's confidence is shattered. His his belief in his ability, not necessarily his ability, his belief in his receivers to make him look good is gone. If you think about JT Barrett in 2014, and you remember the Michigan State game as I do, I was mm-hmm. there that night when he put on a show. Oh, yeah. what, what he had was Evan Spencer, Devin Smith, Jalen Marshall, Zeke Elliott, Jeff Hireman, an offensive line that was fantastic. That was his, those were, that was his weapons. All upperclassmen. He knew they would be where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. He does not believe that of this group. And this is two years running with this, man. This isn't a new issue. This is a two-year-old issue. So to me, the JT Barrett that I saw in 2014 that you saw, I mean, he could make all the throws, right? We didn't have any trouble. It's not like Ohio State couldn't throw the ball down the field in 2014 when he was a freshman, not as well as Cardell against Alabama. No, he can't. Not against Wisconsin. No, he's not like that. He doesn't have elite arm talent. 
but he could make enough throws that could make a really good Michigan State defense completely on its heels. Yeah. And that's because he trusted the people he was throwing to. Now, the question is, can he get back there? He's a long ways from there, buddy. I mean, it's well, three years later. Yeah, and, and so Jason actually said something really interesting during the game that JT kind of plays like a guy who thinks that, you know, putting a big zero on the turnover, you know, stat is what's going to save his legacy, essentially. Like, is hey, I didn't turn the ball over. Well, great, but, you know, you didn't really do much else. But that's uh, not who I, he is. He's right, not Baker that, Mayfield. He's a facilitator. Yes. He, he is not... He's not put the game on my shoulders. I'm going to go win you national. I'm going to go win you national championship. Right. He's, He's a distributor. Right. Let me get the ball to all the guys and let them do it. That's yeah. and you can win a national championship with that guy, but you have to have the other guys. Like we yeah. can't miscast JT Barrett as Baker Mayfield. That's not who he is. Well, and then JT has a choice. Then I mean, because I don't think. Look, I don't think this team is going to the playoff. I, I you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, if they write the ship and they went out, I'm like, sorry, that's not happening. I don't see that. I know this isn't a 2014 situation where you've got all the talent in the world, but they're just confused. This is a situation where you're clearly lacking in talent in a lot of key areas and they just aren't playing to their ability. Um, so I think, I think the playoff talk, I mean, you would have to see an enormous turnaround. And if I'm JT Barrett, I mean, I, I know it's hard to change who you are as a player. I, I'm not saying that, you know, that's going to happen necessarily, but you've got to go in with the mentality like it doesn't matter if a couple of interceptions are thrown against UNLV or Army or whatever. You've got to at least try to make something happen. And if it sucks, if it doesn't work, then at least you tried. But, you know, like you said, sitting back there in the pocket, waiting for guys to break open, none of that is going to help the offense. It, it's not. And even though, you know, throwing a pick in a bad time is going to be bad, too. I'd rather have that than death by a thousand cuts, uh, you know, by throwing, you know, having to throw out of bounds because you were run out of the pocket because nobody got open. I mean, it's just, you've got to be willing to take chances and that may not be who that dude is, but I hope that's who he realizes he has to be uh, for some of this, you know, offensive stuff to work because it's not taking chances at this point. Like you have to, it's a requirement. Like if you want to get anything done, if you have a sights on the big 10 championship, whatever, you've got to start hitting that panic button and just do things that you would not expect yourself to do during a game. This is not about maintaining. This is about trying to make something happen. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's uh paralysis by analysis for JT. Yeah. I think he's just thinking way too much and he, he does not trust his receivers to do the things. And so he's playing poor and that's why I'm, I, I won't go. Some of the people I've talked to will put no blame on Barrett. None. Uh, they will put him in one of them. One of the guys I took to put him fourth, on the on the list of problems you know <laughs> that it was fourth and i thought well you know what he there is some that goes to him um i'm fine with with if you want to say coaching you want to say receivers are are if they share if that's at the top but he has to it's got to be a 33 33 33 split i mean right. that's where i am on it um that, that he is culpable for this now how he got to this point there's a lot of blame for that um but but the fact is that that he's here and he's not who he was in 2014. Can he be that again? Boy, if there's ever a chance, it's over the next three or four weeks because it's Cupcake City. I mean, it's just Cupcake City. If they're going to build right. confidence, it's going to be over the next three or four weeks. My inclination would be that those young receivers will start to get more time and they'll have to mix it up at the receiver position. See if they have any playmakers there because because they they can't keep doing what they're doing and and beat Alabama. They can't. I mean, they can't beat Oklahoma <laughs> that way. They can't beat Clemson no. that way. So they sure as hell aren't going to beat Alabama. Um, the only thing I would 
The only thing I would say is I remember being on the radio in Columbus after they got smoked by Virginia Tech and and everybody was saying this is a three or four loss football team. Sure. Everybody. Everybody's saying it. And then that team found its way. And and kids who we didn't know were great became great. There was a hunger to that team. This team has the has similar talent. I don't know if it's apple to apple's talent, but it's similar talent. Will they find that hunger? Will they write the ship? They write it in 2014. They have the ability to write it now. The schedule certainly sets up for them to write the ship over the next month. But they've got a long way to go between now and Penn State coming at, at the end of October. Because Penn State, that's a, that's a bring your lunch pail day. That's a real football team that's going to come in here. And they're going to be – and we haven't even talked about the defensive issues. We're dead last I, in the country. I literally – I was just dead about last. to say that. Exact same thing. Like, you know, we can, also, we can harp on the offense all we want. Yeah. But well, they got to score more than 31. I mean, they got to score more than 16, period. That, yeah. That's unacceptable. But yeah, they're dead last in the country in, in <laughs> pass defense. And what that goes to is do you remember yeah. at the beginning of the year? I said, if Urban can back up three guys going to the NFL the next year losing three first rounders, if he can do it for a third straight year, then he's got it going like Saban. Well, you don't have it going like Saban no. because. <laughs> You don't. I mean, that's just the difference. As great as Urban is as a recruiter, as a developer, as a program, I mean, he's this, he's number he's the number two guy. But Saban loses guys to the NFL in the next group. Here we go. They're good to go. And they they don't get smoked. And this this defense in the secondary it has just gotten torched the first couple of weeks. They're young. It's not just them either. It's the linebackers too. Some of them are lost. And the loss of Luke Fickle as a linebacker coach is being felt early in the season as well. There's a lot of issues here, my friend. They've got a month to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, honestly, like we can talk about the offense all day, but I'm way more concerned about the defense and the pass defense, especially because it, it's not, I mean, yes, you've played against two very good passing offenses and, and probably maybe the best uh, quarterback in the country in Baker Mayfield, but the, the complete lapses of, thought of discipline that you've seen from the defensive secondary are really really disturbing and yeah I mean that can be expected when you lose three members of your secondary to you know the first round of the NFL draft but the fact that they are so lost in so many ways uh is is really kind of you know disturbing and I gotta tell you something they got a lot they got away with a lot against Oklahoma there was a lot of things where they're like you know they're saying no dice, you know, and they're waving their arms and stuff after they break up a pass. I'm like, yeah, man, but you interfered with them all the way down the field. Like you're lucky you didn't get a 15 yard penalty. And so to be that out of position to have to make it up and, and, you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to say cheap, but you kind of have to like figure out ways to, to get the ball out of the receiver's hands that could get you flagged in some ways. I mean, that to me just signals poor coaching in of itself. And it looks like these guys overall, the team in general just has not been as prepared as they really should have been in years past. And defensively, I mean, when you've got an offense that's struggling, Ohio state has traditionally really leaned on that defense a lot. And they did that last year, uh, which had an incredible pass defense. Um, they've done that in years past. One of the things, and, and I know, I know we've got to wrap this up here real quick, but one of the things I was kind of thinking about with regard to urban Meyer is that, you know, when you've got an offense that's struggling, right? And but you've got a defense that has the potential to be very, very good. That was like Jim Trestle's niche. Like he loved that. He loved the mm-hmm. idea that he didn't really have to worry about his offense, you know, saving the game because he knew his defense could do that. And he was totally comfortable winning by three points and hanging on to a three-point lead for an entire half. 
I don't know that Urban Meyer is that guy. I think that freaks him out. I don't know that he wants to slow down the game when the game's really close. I don't think that that's something that he feels comfortable doing. Now, granted, he's got a defense that can't exactly do that right now. But to me, I think that's part of where some of this weird stuff with the offense comes in because he feels that he has to make something happen quickly when the game's close. And I don't know that that's really how this team is built right now. Well, to the issue of the defense, um, and, and and maybe it's a little bit of buying your own hype, right? Because yeah, the sure. idea was last year you lose three guys to the NFL and three guys come into their first-round picks. Then you get told that's how we roll at Ohio State. We lose three, right. three more, three more, next man up. You get told that, and you didn't put in the work that those other guys did. And you're not a once-in-a-generation player like Malik Hooker who just bursts onto the scene like a comet. I mean, you're not that. And so right. – they don't have those. They don't. Malik Hooker's not walking through the door. They don't have a kid who just comes out of nowhere and can cover more ground than anybody in the history of the program. So you start to believe your hype. Urban's entire philosophy in building this program is based on ready for the NFL, and it has worked in spades. But when you do that, do you also maybe get away from what built this program into what it is, which is the pride of the jersey that you play for Ohio State, not to get to the NFL? That's an interesting thing going forward. It's something that will be tackled in recruiting. It's something that happened at Florida at a time. I hear a lot of grumbles about he doesn't recruit Ohio enough. There's not enough blood, sweat, and tears, guys. This is a He's in an interesting spot. I know that for you listening, you think, oh, it's panic. It's not panic time. Everything's fine. You've got a fantastic program, a great coach, tons of talent. You're going to be fine. You're going to play in a great bowl. You may still get to the college football playoff. But these are some of the issues that cropped up at Florida. And, and some of this stuff is starting to crop up now. And so it's, it's, it's got to be something that, you it's an eye-opening experience. Let's learn from it, and let's see what happens over the next month of this season. Coming up in a little bit, we will do the Michigan Minute. But coming up next, we will visit with former Ohio State wide receiver Anthony Gonzalez, who is factoring on a little political run. So we'll get to that coming up next. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to you about Safe Flight Auto Glass and how proud they are to be designated as the 2016 military-friendly employer by Victory Media, the publisher of GI Jobs. Safe Flight is committed to connecting veterans with meaningful employment. Here in Ohio, Safe Flight Associates support veteran service organizations and causes by hosting f- fundraisers, rallies, events that directly support veterans and their families. Safe Flight is proud to spotlight those who are already employed by SafeLight and who have served or are currently serving in the military through their SafeLight in the Service Spotlight series. Great stuff that they're doing with the former military guys and with their families, getting employment and getting in the community and helping out. And we talk about that because naturally, Army is in town on Saturday. So well done, SafeLight. We appreciate you here on the podcast and appreciate you doing what you're doing for our military men. It is our great pleasure now to be joined for, by former Buckeye great wide receiver Anthony Gonzalez, proud Ohioan. Boy, Gonzo, thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head as we start this, St. Ignatius, Ohio State, Indianapolis. That, that's a pretty good run up there, buddy. Like now that you've had, now that you look back on on your football career and and how it led you to this point, and we'll get into your what you want to do in the future momentarily. But as you get to this point, you think about the you think about Chuck Kyle, Jim Tressel. And, and kind of how you grow to be a man, boy, that had to be at the forefront of it, did it not? Oh, absolutely. Um, and first off, thanks for having me, guys. But I always say I, I had the most charmed football experience ever. I mean, I was so lucky. I had – and I didn't do anything. I just got lucky. I had Coach Kyle, who's a Hall of Fame coach. I had Jim Trestle, who's a Hall of Fame coach. And I had Tony Dungy, who's a Hall of Fame coach. And I had a cup of coffee with Bill Belichick. Um, 
he <laughs> cut me rightfully uh, as I was on the tail end of my career and very, very injured. But, uh, but I had, I mean, I just had wonderful coaches and examples. Um, and so I was, you know, how do you, how do you explain that other than to say just dumb luck, um, which I was very happy to receive. Well, I think, I think that's probably the only time anyone has used dumb with you in the same sentence right. uh, with your IQ <laughs> and you as a football player. So I don't, I'm not going to let you off the hook that quickly on that. Certainly your talent did it as well. Um, as, as, as we go down memory lane a little bit and, and you think back to your time at Ohio State, and I was, I was thinking about the receivers. You, obviously, Troy uh, was a Heisman winner at quarterback, but you thought about, I mean, you played with Ginn and Hall and, uh, and you know, that's a lot of Santonio. San I mean, that's a lot of mm-hmm. NFL talent that was on that team. So much has talked about the current run that Ohio state has an NFL talent. But when you played, that was the peak of the Trestle era, I would say from a, from a talent acquisition standpoint for coach Tress. Yeah, we had, we had a great team. We, um, you know, obviously Troy won a Heisman. Santonio was a first round pick. I was a first round pick. Teddy, uh, you know, don't forget Brian Rubisky was a great player. Second round pick Brian Hartline. Um, so we had, I mean, you know, Ray Small even was a, was a guy who was as talented. I mean, he didn't quite pan out for some other reasons, but as talented a guy as you'll see. And you know, one of the things when you when you bring that many talented people together, every everybody just has to raise their bar. Um, and so it's it really feeds on itself uh, in a really productive way. That's that's super beneficial for the program and fun for the players. That's why you go to Ohio State. You go. You go to play in the big games, but you also go to compete with with the best players in the country um, in practice, and it, it's it's awesome. There's nothing like it. Is that how coaches kind of sell that to you guys? I mean, I feel like with that much talent, with that much, you know, I mean, that many egos in the room, it's it's kind of hard to balance all that. But is you know, has Urban Meyer really kind of landed on it when it's all about competition and getting guys, you know, into it and kind of performing to their best? I think so. You know, it takes it takes a special, I don't know, a special. It takes a different kind of mindset as an athlete to look at a roster with all that talent and say, that's where I want to go compete. Cause it's actually harder there. Right. In a, in a way. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just, I think the culture, you know, people self-select into culture more so than anything else. Um, and, and culture is very sticky. And so uh, when you keep having people kind of putting their hands up and saying, yeah, I want to, I want to go where it's, where it's going to be challenging. I want to go where it's difficult. I'm going to go where I have to compete every single day in practice um, that mindset it just permeates the entire team and and it's no surprise why um, certain programs and certain coaches can stay at the top for so long as you look back on on your Buckeye career is there what are the moments that that are have become become touchstones for you that you you look back on so I'm obviously a million of them but but what are at the top of the list of things that you look back on so fondly yeah you know I mean the the most obvious one uh, you know, undefeated against Michigan, I will be as proud as I can be forever on that. Um, so all those you still Michigan have all games, your pants. You still have well, all your gold you know, pants. I, I gave them all away, but they are all accounted for. Um, so okay. my mother has a pair, my father has a pair, and my my grandmother um, uh, was buried with a pair. So um, so that um, they are all very much accounted for. And I, like I said, those were incredible moments. Um, all the bowl games are fun because that's. You know, it's kind of your your celebration. At least the week, um, it's kind of your celebration with your teammates for a for a season well well done. Um, and then just you know the the things that nobody sees are are honestly the ones that carry you through. Um, is the you know the locker room and just hanging out with the guys and um, you know meeting them, meeting their families, 
you know, one of the great things about football, it's, it's kind of the, the melting pot in a lot of ways. Um, you know, everybody's from all different backgrounds. So you really get to know people on a personal level and, and those relationships, they don't go away. I mean, I, I saw Santonio uh, at the game this weekend. He sat behind me, basically two rows behind me. We talked for 20 minutes. I haven't <laughs> seen Santonio since my second year in the NFL. Um, mm. And we had an amazing conversation. I mean, he's doing fantastically well. He's in Pickerington. He's got his kids and uh, his wife and kids and his family was in town because of the, the tragic storms in Florida. I mean, those are the, those are the things that, you know, nobody sees that, but, um, but that's the, where you get the most value is, is those relationships. Do you feel like, you know, your perspective on the team right now, has that changed as a result of maybe you being away from the program a little bit? I mean, obviously you've, you've moved into other ventures and things like that. Um, does your perspective on, you know, football in general, and then maybe the, the team as it is today, has that changed a little bit? Do you feel like a little different towards the game or, you know, now that you can kind of take the long view of it? Uh, you know, not, not really. I, I've always said, I think it's the, the greatest game that we have in this country. Um, you know, it's under attack a little bit, but, uh, but I think it's a phenomenal game. It's just, um, there's something about it. It's the ultimate team sport. I mean, so many, one, so many things have been said about it that are absolutely true. Um, so I've, I've always been appreciative of the time that I spent in the game. Um, it's, you know, Bill Parcells had, had a saying that, you know, you get on the train, the train moves and eventually you got to get off the train, but you should enjoy the ride. And, uh, and I always tried to do that. Um, and, and like I said, I've, I've always been grateful for it. And, you know, that's why I still love Ohio state. I, I love football. I'm, I, I watch every Saturday and Sunday and, and Fridays for, for high school. So, um, you know, my perspective hasn't changed much. I've been grateful for the opportunities and, um, and always proud. So. Do you, I remember very vividly, I, I had just moved to Columbus when you had gotten drafted. So I, the last thing I covered in Florida was, you know, the national championship game going the other way. And then I moved to Columbus, you know, that spring. And I remember when you got drafted and, and seeing Indianapolis Colts and you and thinking, well, that's flawless. I mean, that, that is my, this kid, he's going to play 15 years in the league. He's going to catch passes from Peyton Manning his entire career, catch a hundred passes a year and away it goes. Um, two-parter, what, what is it like when, when you're a rookie and, and you go to work for Peyton Manning, because I would assume that's what you're doing with the Indianapolis Colts is working for Peyton Manning. And, and then number two, do you allow yourself to say, is there any part of you that, and, and if there was, how long did it take you to get over the what if? What if the injuries don't happen? Do you, do you still lament on that at all? Yeah, good question. I mean, so you're, you're right. Um, you, you do feel like you're working for Peyton Manning for, for your rookie year. Um, you know, the, we, Tony Dungy didn't allow for hazing or anything like that, but you still got to earn the respect of your teammates. Um, and you know, that as, as you should. Uh, and so your rookie year, you're kind of spending trying to do that and prove to guys that you're serious about your craft and you want to, you know, you're going to help them win and all that. Um, but, uh, you know, years two and beyond year two, when I was still healthy, um, great relationships, still a great relationship with Peyton, um, wonderful teammates there, same, same kind of deal. Um, and then in terms of, of the, the what if, I don't know that I've, I've never been bitter about it. Um, I don't think, I mean, I, you know, I've never felt that way. I've, I've always been a, you know, Hey, it, I, it didn't work out exactly how I wanted. Um, but you know, I, I can take solace in the fact that I did everything I could. I, I can, I can confidently say I was in the best shape of my life every single year. I think I got a little bit better, um, and you know, did everything I could. It just, at some point your body just stops responding and 
And now that I'm removed, you know, when you're in it and people are saying, oh, you're injury prone and those things, you get a little defensive. But now that you get out of it and, you know, however many years removed, I'm married to a beautiful wife and we're, you know, back in Ohio going to raise our family and, and all those sorts of things. And you say, well, first off, none of that would have happened if, if things didn't play out this way. So, you know, by the grace of God, I've, I got out of the game when I did and, and met her, uh, which is more important than anything, obviously. Um, but, you know, on, on top of that, um, you know, I, I think you, you, you still kind of can look back and realistically say, yeah, my body was breaking down. I mean, it just was, I, I got to a point where I was just running into the ground and everything kind of fell apart uh, physically. And that's, that's okay because I, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Um, but it took me, it took me a year or two to get to that point. I would say <laughs> there was, there was still that point when yeah. you're watching on Sundays and you're going, gosh, dang it. I could, you know, if I could just get healthy, I could still do that. Um, but, uh, even sometimes when you watch the Browns this, this week, um, you say that. but, uh, but, you, you um, kept in shape. Yeah. They could use some hands. Yeah. Buddy. The, yeah. Well, that was, I know, um, but, uh, but in any, in any event, but no, I'm not, I mean, there's, like I said, it took me about a year or two to, to kind of totally get over that. But, um, but I mean, I, I have no regrets literally. So, yeah. Well, so I was thinking about this because I was reading up on you and, you know, what you've been up to since uh, the NFL and whatnot. And I, I was kind of reminded, I got a buddy, because uh, I'm from originally from Middletown down near Cincinnati. And I got a buddy named JD who's gone on to do, you know, some really crazy things after, uh, you know, after college. And, you know, he's written a book and all this other stuff. And I was thinking, like, you've gone on, I, I believe at Stanford, you got your MBA. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, what what really was the big motivator for you in that kind of second phase of your life, like after football? What was the thing that really kind of drove you? What was your goal like to get towards after you kind of realized that you had to kind of hang it up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so I even when I was playing, I always said I, I don't want my life to be defined by football. I, I think if if you know my story is written and it is exclusively a football story, um, I will be I'll be disappointed. Uh, and so I, I don't know that I had a, you know, a North star of I'm going to get my MBA, then I'm going to go do this and this and this. Um, but I did say to myself, you know what, I was injured. Um, it was pretty clear that my, my career wasn't going to work out the way that it was going, that I wanted it to. So I, said, I, I need to create some options for myself. I need to edu- educate myself. I had a philosophy degree. So I'll, I'll get my MBA, um, got into Stanford and and had two great years there and, um, and then started building, uh, building a, a technology company, a software company. And, um, ultimately a variety of factors, uh, kind of brought me both back home and then, and then into the political world where, um, you know, I just got to a point where I, I always say, I, I think we live in the, the greatest state and the greatest country on earth. And, you know, for whatever reason, we're just, kind of stuck in our Congress. It's just not, it's just not getting done the way that, that it needs to get done. And, um, you know, you got 310 million people in this country who need an effective Congress, need Congress to solve the really, really big problems. And boy, does it look like they're having a hard time doing that. And, um, and so, and so I said to myself and, you know, with the blessing of my wife, I said, I got to do this. I mean, I just, I can't, just the way my brain works, I, I just can't sit on the sidelines and watch this happen over and over and over again. I feel like I can do it. I feel like I've, I've got the ability. I've certainly got the drive to do it. Um, 
And so I said, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I'll go in. I'll try to, I'll do my best um, and see if we can't get something going. And, and so that's, that's kind of just how, I don't know, this is how I'm wired, I guess. I don't know, I don't know that that's a great answer, but, <laughs> but that's no. just uh, sort of part of what led me into it. You know, Anthony, what's uh, what's interesting is the um, and the natural follow up to that question is 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 everything about you is pretty storybook, right? I mean, Ignatius, Chuck Kyle, Ohio State, Jim Trestle, Indianapolis Colts, Dungy, Manning, all of it, Stanford MBA, all this stuff. The injuries happen, but you quickly bounce back. Know what you're going to do with your life, and then now you're making this decision to 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 go into this profession this call to serve which most people in this country if you ask them what do you think of politics it's the filthiest dirtiest gross the the opinion of the political theater now it's never been lower in my life i mean it just never in anybody's life right i mean it's never been a dirtier thing so so then the natural follow-up question to that is why why (laughs) why enter this this arena because it's important i mean that's the answer it's you know, I'm not going into it like, oh my gosh, this is going to be such a walk in the park. What a wonderful, you know, kind environment I'm walking into. <laughs> yeah, um, this is a slugfest. No, yeah, it's a slugfest. And I mean, the second you you kind of say, hey, I'm a Republican, you half the people all of a sudden, <laughs> wait a minute, I'm not so sure I like you anymore. Um, right. So, you know, and that's, you know, that that's, that's the reality, but, um, and it is rough and it's going to be hard and, you know, you're going to, you're going to take your shots. But again, it just gets back to what I said earlier, which is we have really, really big challenges that we have to solve. And if I don't do it or, you know, people, people like myself, humbly, I'll say, I think I can do a good job. Um, if we don't get into it, then who the heck's going to do it? I mean, who, who's going to do it? Um, well, we know. So, let me, let me so real quick jump in on this, bud. Let me ask you this because the, I, I I've talked to you many times, uh, on inter- in interviews and all this stuff. And, and what I'm curious about is the tenor of the political debate in this country right now, the, mm-hmm. the way that it's being carried out. Will you, John Kasich right now, whatever people think about him politically, he is staying, a, he's trying to create a new narrative in the way that he's going about yeah. his business in a more professional, civilized tone. Um, what will you stay out of the fray uh, during this the best you can? I mean, is that something that you're going to, that you're going to be, that you're going to set out to do? Certainly. I mean, that's, that is a big motivator for me, honestly. Um, I think, you know, and not to get too philosophical, but I I think politics sort of sits downstream from culture. I think, I think our politicians tend to reflect, unfortunately, tend to reflect our, our culture. And I think we as a culture are divided. Um, And I think as a, as a culture, you're seeing a lot of anger and and bitterness. um, And that reflects then downward into politics. And uh, the bet that I'm trying to make is, I can reverse it. And that that's actually like people think, Oh, it's going to be hard. And this, that's actually to me, the, the biggest challenge is I'm going to go, I'm, I don't want to get into the muck. I don't want to do that. I want to try to be a positive force. I've never, look, I, I love working with people. I love being a part of a team and, and trying to set big goals and going after them and achieving them. I love that. That's what I, I've lived my whole life doing, whether it was in football or, or in business. Um, and you know, you don't, can't really get anywhere if you're spending all your time throwing bombs at your teammates um, and trying to undercut them. And so I think we forget that. Um, and I think that's a big part of why it has been so ineffective. So, you know, that's, I'm going to do my, my level best. And, and the other thing I say, I'm running for my, I'm running for Ohio. I'm running for Northeast Ohio. I'm running for the country. 
I'm not running to take shots at people. That's not what I'm trying to do. Now, I'm sure people will come after me because that's just how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you you do your best. But um, I'm certainly I'm getting into it with the idea that I can be a positive force um, culturally and politically. And, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. But like I said, if, if I don't try, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life because it's too it's too important not to not to try. That's how, that's just how I, I view it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to tell you something, man. Like I just got done reading an article, um, I think from like Cincinnati.com where they, they basically did a ride along with EMTs and, and police officers in Southwestern Ohio over the course of man, a week. About, yeah. About 180 ODs, 15 people died. Um, that's yep. not a partisan issue. Like it, it's about helping people and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If that's your motivator, then you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a history teacher. I'm a, you know, I also teach government and that's what I want my students to see is that you're not there to score political points necessarily, although that's clearly the game and that's what you have to do. Uh, but if your motivation is other people, then I think that's the, that's the key. So, uh, you know, and Ohio obviously has a lot of problems. I mean, going back to the heroin issue, I mean, that's, that's something that deeply affects where I'm from. Uh, yeah. I I just want to see people who want to do, you know, what you're trying to do and any politician of any stripe uh, where their motivation is to help people who need that help. And that's to me, the most important thing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's like I said, I appreciate you saying that. That is exactly why I'm trying to do it. I mean, it's just like, there's, it's gotta be done. Well, it just has to, and it's not, I mean, if we're being honest, it's not. And so, you know, it's, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I'll do it. <laughs> well, we, hopefully people we, put me in. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to tell you, it was a great pleasure having you on. I've always enjoyed our conversations uh, previously and I enjoyed this one immensely and uh, we'll have you on, you know, down the road as well as uh, you know, we didn't even get to talk about, you know, how high state can't throw the ball and who to blame <laughs> there. Cause that's what, I mean, we, we like doing that too. We like passing blame out here, buddy. Yeah, no, I know, but we'll, we'll keep it positive. I think <laughs> Coach Meyer's got enough people, uh, enough opinions coming at him. I'm sure. Although I, I will say, um, I was in the stands, and it certainly wasn't the outcome we were hoping for. But no. they'll they'll write the ship. They'll write the ship. Yeah, they will. Appreciate your time, Anthony, as always, and uh, and best of luck uh, in the political uh, political arena, my friend. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. And we want to remind you to be sure and visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Johnny, this is the point of the podcast where I always ask you, how close are we to the new merch? Uh, <laughs> we, you know what? I think we're still we're still trying to work on it a little bit. I'm getting antsy too, though, man. Like I want I want the shirt that's coming out really, really bad. Uh, again, big tease, the big tease. I know, man. It's it's a reference to Ohio's history, so that's got to be something I'm going to be repping. And it's it's coming. It's I promise it's coming. We got to get the we got to get everything situated, but it should be hopefully soon. Hopefully, All right. soon. very 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 good. It's it's time for the Michigan minute, and we have gone long on this, but we had a lot to talk to. So these the the Michigan minute will be not much more than that. Uh, right. Look, um, Michigan looked fine. I think the most the big takeaway that I took from Michigan over over Cincinnati was number one, thank you, Luke, Luke Fickle, for covering the spread. So that was great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that a great deal. It was 34 and a half. You played them closer than that, so I thank you for that. Um, Michigan's defense is really good. I thought there'd be a bigger drop-off with their defense. Their defense is is going to be pretty frightening by the end of the year. That Rashawn Gary is spectacular. I think the kid's name is Bush at linebacker. He's 
just great. I mean, they are really good defensively, so that jumps out to me. They have issues offensively. Wilton Spade isn't throwing it as well. There's a little talk about quarterback thing, but it seems like Harbaugh is sticking with him. But for a young team that's lost as many guys as they have, it's a pretty good two-game start for the boys up north. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> it's funny because considering how many people they really did, they had six returning starters. I mean, this is what we expected Ohio State to be able to pull off defensively, where it's like there's there's no real drop-off. And, you know, I don't think that Michigan has necessarily played offenses quite as difficult as uh, what Ohio State has faced, but they have done really, really well. And, you know, I, I don't think that Spate is going to be, you know, throwing the ball around, but I think they kind of realize that they're going to be a running team and that's okay. And they're not going to try to, have Spate win the game with his arm all the time. Uh, but defensively, they just are incredibly sound. They, they're very, very smart football players, just always in the right spot. Uh, they look good. They look good. They're not going to be – I don't think they're going to be necessarily a top-five team yet, but by the end of the year, they could be there. Yeah, yeah. We just watch them grow. Um, and they're, they're – you know, that's why we always keep our eye on them. I also wanted to bring up Penn State. Penn State moves to 2-0. and James yep. Franklin comment afterward is why I love college football to say and that that Pitt thought it was a Super Bowl for us. It's like beating Akron. What he right. meant by that clearly was it's just another game. But then he throws Akron in and it's just got the double slight. I just loved it. What what, what scares me about Penn State is they are really freaking good. They're mm-hmm. really good. Barkley is a beast. Uh, McSorley, Gasecki, they have everything. They're, they have everything that you need. And I'm looking at you know a month and a half from now and I'm going, boy. Um, right now they are the class of the big 10 and I don't know how you could dispute it at this point. It's early, but at this point they're the class of the league. Who would you say is the best quarterback in the big 10 right now? Well, he'd be right at the top of the list. That's what I would I'm saying, say. man. Sorely. I mean, I, you know, he would be at the top. He did it last year and he's off to a good start this year. There's no yeah. doubt the best tailback in the league is Barkley. So, um, yeah, I mean, right now I'd go him. <laughs> That's where so, I do. So then where are you at? You've got the best running back and the best quarterback. Yeah, that's why they're the best I mean, team. They, head and shoulders right now. They're good. They're really, really, yeah. really good. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the next month, but man, they they look very, very dangerous. And, and James Franklin has earned a little bit of you know smugness, honestly, at this point. I, I think I don't really think people expected him to get the team to this point, uh, especially with Harbaugh and, and Urban Meyer in the same conference. But man, they, they look, they look tough. They look really tough. A year ago, people at Penn State wanted his head on a spit. Yeah. And now he's got all the swagger in the world. I mean, it's amazing turnaround that he's had. I mean, they called him Coach Kardashian, that he was all flash. He had no substance. Right. And now look at him. Now he's just swaggering. I mean, it's – and they and rightfully so. They're really good, and they're going to be a problem at the end of October uh, in Columbus. So Ohio State's got a long ways to go. We want to remind you, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes.com. Uh, the final segment of the program, we usually do the, uh, the, the three things on the opponent. Um, it's Army this week. And, and what I would just say, um, and I, I don't, if you're tired of hearing me saying it, I almost don't care because I just think it's so important. If, you've ever, if, if you ever have the opportunity to go to West Point or Annapolis or Colorado Springs, but certainly West Point and Annapolis because they're closer to us, take that opportunity to go. Um, and and they will, they, if you arrange it, they will allow you to walk the campus and kind of see it all. I have more uh, respect for those kids that do that or as much respect. I shouldn't say more because I respect a lot of kids and the sacrifices they make when they're very young. But the kids that go to West Point and Annapolis, they could go to Vanderbilt or they could go to Duke or Northwestern or an Ivy League school. They could go to anywhere they want to go. 
and they choose to go there and serve. And there is a, a respect level that I have for that and almost a romance that I have with the service academies for what they do and the excellence that is demanded of them. And I love the way that they play. I love Army Navy. I love the fact that they always lead the NCAA in fewest penalty yards. I love that <laughs> they refuse to throw it. I love that they run this this 50-year-old antiquated offense, but they run it so precise and so effectively that they still find a way to win games and every once in a while shock a giant. So um, I will tip my hat to Army when they come in here. I would cheer every single play they have that successfully. If you won't, don't like it, fine. I don't care. That to me, that is the. I have so much respect for the kids who serve in those, who go to those two academies. Yeah, the the enormous amount of work that they have to put in. I mean, any <laughs> of the Air Force, Navy, aren't whoever. Yeah. I mean, it's they are doing football as like a side gig, obviously, and and it's <laughs> the the amount of work that they're putting in is no less than any other football player in America. So the amount of pressure on their shoulders, the amount of work that they have to do, and then add football on top of that is just completely unbelievable. Uh, I I love you know the fact that the service academies still have this. I mean, it it feels almost like you know when you play these teams that you're stepping back in time a little bit because you know mm-hmm. you're going back to the heydays in the 1940s and 1950s and 1930s um but it's it's really remarkable what they're able to accomplish as as young people like that and i was not that motivated and i like i am i am are. in complete awe yeah exactly i'm in complete awe of the people who are able to accomplish that so it's pretty cool i i, I think like um, you, you hit on something that they are the true, you want to talk about student athlete, right? That's them. Exactly. I mean, right. they are student athletes. They are treated no different than anybody else on those campuses. Nope. It's stunning. And I'll they tell do you a quick anecdote. It and it's, yeah, that's they do. What's awesome about it. Yeah, they do. And they could have gone anywhere and they chose to go there. I'll tell you a quick antidote from Annapolis. Um, it, it is so surreal walking in there i haven't been to west point yet i've looked at it a million times i've got to find a way to get there it's 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 kind of a tricky place to get to so i don't know how i'll get there but i will um but i'll never forget annapolis like how flawless everything was it was so pristine in the fall it was so pristine um and i remember the head admiral driving like a 1964 jaguar and thinking well that's perfect that's exactly what the head admiral of the of the of the Naval Academy should be um, should be driving. So in terms of the game, look, I think the only thing if you're going to look over trends, guys, over the next month of this season, the next three opponents, certainly it's just understand that oh, that Urban Meyer, I would be stunned if there's any sort of quarterback movement at all, that, that what will happen over the next three weeks will be JT Barrett's confidence being rebuilt. I think that you will see some young kids filtered through at receiver. But if you're looking for other changes in personnel, I don't think they're going to happen. I think you will see young receivers, maybe Grimes, Mac. You'll see them in more of a, a bigger role. And some of the kids who have been playing maybe step back a little bit. But the number one priority has got to be confidence in the passing game. We all know it. And I think that's what you'll look for over the next couple of weeks and certainly starting Saturday against Army. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's to get you got to get good, right? Like, you got to get the offense yep. right, you got to figure out the defense. Now, granted, they're going to have maybe four or five chances in the passing game to defend a pass on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. but you got to you just got to figure some things out. I mean, there's clearly a lot that needs to be uh fixed, and they're going to have the opportunities to do it, but you just got to get it done because end of October looms really large, and frankly, a lot of games before that can loom a little large if you're not, yep. you know on the right track before that the good news is is the past defense will after this week will no longer be the worst in the country because army <laughs> right, will throw it three times. yes so right. inevitably 
we will now we will no longer be the worst pass defense uh, in the country. Uh, we have a couple of minutes real quickly for Ask Us Anything. You got anything for us, buddy? Yeah, let's do some Ask Us Anything. Thank you guys again for writing in. Um, uh, you can you can keep asking us any questions at, for Ask Us Anything to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Uh, let's get one from Alvin here. He just wants to know, you know, if there's one rule in college football that you could add, change, or omit, what would it be and why? I, I don't like – I wish they'd let the kids have some personality. Yeah. I wish they'd let them – you know, I, I remember 15 years ago that, you know, they'd take their helmets off. There was a kid I covered at Florida State named Buster Davis who wouldn't put his chin strap on. He was a swaggerful kid from Daytona. And I actually think Ohio State was one of the finalists for him. But he ends up at, at Florida State, and he would not put his chin strap on so that every time he made a tackle, he could flick his, his helmet off. And I loved it. I mean, I just wish they'd relax some of that and let the kids have a little more fun and celebrate. Nothing gratuitous like – you know, Miami from 25 years ago, but I wouldn't mind them allowing them to have a little bit of celebration. Yeah. I think that's, that would be a lot more fun. I I like the fact that, you know, kids can kind of do stuff. I mean, they're, you know, when you're teenagers and you're young adults like that, I I feel like you should be able to do some fun things. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, I, I thought about this and one of my biggest things is I don't like any concept of, getting away from the end of the game and and, and instituting rules that either pause the end of the game or somehow change the flow of the game because it's the last two minutes or something like that. I don't think there should be any in any type of football, uh, something that has a runoff. Like I don't want any of that in any type of sport. I think all the games should be played exactly the same way all the way through and then allow people to make um, types of decisions like coaching decisions, whatever type of technical decisions they want to make based on the overall flow of the game that kind of started. I really, really detest any kind of changes in the last part of the, uh, of the, of the game. So, you know, it's not even necessarily something that I would omit or like changes. I just don't want there to be a huge, like we've got to adjust how the end of the half or the end mm-hmm. of the game works. Cause that's just something I absolutely detest. I cannot stand that. Play it the same the whole way through. Yeah, just play the same. Just keep it the same and and let the flow, you know, d- you know, be dictated by the rest of the game because it doesn't. It shouldn't feel like a separate mini game once you get down to two minutes or whatever it is. I just cannot stand no. that. Um, okay, this next one here. Uh, this is from James. James wants to know how do you feel about the the multicast? How do you feel about all the angles, all the different you know looks that we got? You know, in the Indiana game and so on. Uh, did you enjoy that? Was that something that you'd like to see in future games? How did that work out for you? Love it. I wish that they would, what I wish they would do is when they, in ideal situation, when they do the coaches, I wish they would just take the camera off the coaches. Cause I don't need to see them. And I wish they would just keep it on press box view for the whole time, because honestly, it's what I miss most about covering, you know, this stuff on a regular basis was watching in the press box. Cause you could see what was happening. One of the biggest developments this week. And, and, and it, it hit me, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks is that most people have no real idea because they just get the television angle. If right. any, if a fan was able to go to the press box, and I know you've been up there, if you watch a game from the press box, you can actually see what's happening. Yeah, and if totally you don't, different. it's so skewed. And so your, your view of what the problems are are just totally, in many cases, unfounded because, right. because you have no idea what's actually happening. And I, just, I would love for there to be an alternate channel that just showed like the up cam. Just an up cam with coaches talking about what's happening or like Tony Romo on Sunday when he was saying, now they're going to do this. That's fine. Do that with an up cam shot. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the multicam stuff. The only thing that I'll say, though, is that I don't particularly 
you know, if it's a big game and if it's something that I really, really, really care about, you know, if it's a bowl game or a playoff or whatever, I'm probably just going to stick with one feed because I'm too nervous. Like I don't want to be switching back and forth. I don't have the wherewithal to go like, Oh, that'd be cool. Let's rewind that. Like, I'm sorry. I'm living in the moment. I don't want to have to try to change that up. If it's something like Indiana though, hell yeah, I'll watch every angle that you give me. I think that's fantastic. Um, I think they need to try to do that a little bit more. I think that's probably, you know, an issue of expense and logistics, but I'm a big fan of it. I think they need to do more of it. And apparently, I mean, the, you know, the ratings bore it out. I mean, people will love that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I'm all about it. Last one here. This is, this is a personal one for me because I'm, I'm going to indulge myself a little bit. This is from Greg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Greg wants to know how I felt. We didn't talk about this. Uh, Greg wants to know how I felt about the new mystery science here 3000 season. Um, and wants to know uh, what I thought of it. And I want to tell you something, Greg. Like, I watched it. So me and my fiance, my fiance, a big fan of the show as well. And we watched it. And we watched, like, four or five of the movies that they're making fun of. And I really enjoyed most of them. Uh, the one the one with the... God, I can't remember the name. It was this Hollywood actor. He's this barrel-chested, the total stereotype guy. Um, really funny. Because uh, it was just an awful, god-awful movie about, like, an avalanche at a ski resort. Um, it was hilarious. But I got to tell you something, man. The voices of the robots of Crow's okay, but the voices for Tom, the voice for Tom, I cannot stand. The cool thing about Mystery Science Three Thousand is that it's really a casual kind of show. They're not really doing voices so much as just talking to each other and cracking jokes. Uh, the characters in the show now feel a little too much like actual characters, and it kind of brings you out of the the tone. And I just. I haven't watched the last couple episodes because it's just a little too fakey for me, which is something when you're talking about a show about, you know, toy robots making fun of crappy 1970s movies. So uh, I'm okay with it, but I'm also okay if they don't make another season. So that's my, that's my hot take on the new season of mystery science year 3000. It's an incredible breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched, I I watch a lot of it. I've got about 20 episodes saved on my DVR. So we want to, we want to thank, we want to thank Anthony Gonzalez for stopping by the podcast. We do appreciate that. We want to thank Safe Light Autoglass for being our presenting sponsor. We want to thank you, the listener. Next week, we'll be back. Um, a potential for an enormously fun guest that I would honestly consider just blowing up the entire format to get. So that's a tease for you. Um, but but I, there's no way that there would be enough time for me to talk to the guy that potentially we have next week. So so hopefully that happens. If not, you'll have to just uh, deal with with Johnny and I and 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 a, and a, and a guest of of normal stature, but potentially a superstar <laughs> one. So you have that to look forward to, which is nice. Johnny, it's fun as always, and uh, I'll visit with you next week. Yep. See you next week. I yeah. I actually have a question because I want to tell you something. I have I have this uh, kind of anecdotal story that i had because we're about the same age how old are you i think 32 32 yep 32. Yeah, so we're we're like the exact same age we're at ohio state at the same time and okay. i was just shooting the with uh i don't know some other kid that i was in class with and they said that they were working with you on a project at one point and it was like during the football season or something like that and you guys had to meet up at either the RPAC or something like that. And it was this big, long thing. And you showed up with basically all of it completed on the first meeting, slammed <laughs> it down and said, it's done. <laughs> Sorry, I got to go. Did peace out. I have always wondered, I've been wondering for years if that is true. Uh, and I, I, I just, I just wanted to know. 
I will say, you know what? I don't remember that specific project, but what you're describing sounds like it's definitely true. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I just, you know what? I didn't, this is so bad, but I just, you know, this is like the anti-teammate coming out, but I just didn't trust anybody with my grades. Right. And so I was like, no, I hear, here, it's done. (laughs) Y'all can change it, but let's talk about it. But I just, you know, here, but, (laughs) you know, I, I don't want, I don't want any, you know, and everybody in college, you know, they're happy to have somebody come in and do all the work. Oh yeah, hell yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, 